Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, where we discuss hunting tactics, wildlife and habitat management, and the dynamics of land ownership. I'm Joe Baia, we're here with my co-host Clint Flowers, and Clint, man, uh, how'd your first weekend of turkey season go? The weather gave us some grief, but we had a, it wasn't productive in the way that you'd want it to be, but I had my six-year-old with me, it was his first time being out on a turkey hunt. He got to hear some birds, see a little sign. So we had a great time together, but uh, hopeful to close the deal this weekend. So yeah. I guess we'll find out. Man, I still remember the first gobble I ever heard. I was four years old, and uh, I'll never forget that. That was that's stirred something inside of me that is still there, and uh, it's, it's a magical time to be out on your land. Springtime woods are just an awesome place to be, and it's my favorite time of year, buddy. So I hope everybody's getting out and enjoying their property, whether they own it or lease it during the shutdown. You know, that's one of the great things to me. There's been a lot of panic around this coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. But I don't hear the guys that hunt and fish and, and have land. They don't really seem to be too panicked about it. No, the uh, self-quarantining is kind of a, a blessing in disguise there. Yeah. I, you know, I, the good thing about it for me is I haven't had to invite anybody turkey hunting. So I've had it all to myself because I, you know, didn't want to be within six feet of them. So just got to follow the rules, you know? Yeah. All right, Clint, who's bringing us a show this week? Joe, this week's show is brought to us by Alabama Ag Credit. You know, buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. Uh, if you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, uh, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crop. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. Well, Clint, I know what's on everybody's mind, and I'm sure they're all hearing plenty about it. But what we want to talk about today is what buying and selling land during coronavirus, COVID-19, and ultimately what we expect to be a, a real estate recession is going to be like. We are obviously not in a real estate recession yet, but I have to expect that that's, that's what we're going to see. What do you think? I think it's, it's possible. And I think that everybody's expecting it right now or that this has caused some kind of a bubble that was might have been in progress, but now it's just going to get burst a little early. So really what we're dealing with now is, is perception and you know everybody trying to look into their crystal ball and, and tell you what's going to come. Right. Yeah. The, the impact of what's happening right now remains to be seen, but I think we can look back on the recession in 2008 uh, when the stock market crashed then and try to determine if if we are going to see the same types of behaviors and try to learn a little bit about how land, specifically land, performed in that real estate market and hopefully make some predictions by the end of the show for the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, Clint, back in 2008, when that, when that stock market went down, how long did it take for you to notice a difference in the land market? It was pretty immediate. Anytime you get a major correction, you see a large number of people exit that market for a variety of reasons. And sometimes before, you know, some people that, that may feel it coming and, and, and jump out when there's a small correction, advance of the big correction. But whenever that happens, there, there's a, you typically see an immediate increase in the number of investors if, uh, looking for land. So explain that a little bit, because I mean, that's counterintuitive, but to, I think to most people. So you're saying you see more people buying land when the stock market is is crashing. Yeah, but also when it's when it's doing like it's been doing on the on the growth side too. 
when you see phenomenal growth, but it's typically the perspectives change you get when things are going really well, like they were, we're in a, in a more recreational mindset for buyers where they're looking for the kind of like buying a condo at the beach. It's kind of going to be, it's going to be your weekend place. It's going to be your play place. It's just going to be where you take the family to enjoy yourselves. Uh, the fact that it's also an investment is just a dividend of ownership, but you're buying it for the recreation. When things are going poorly in the market or there's a major correction, typically the investor mindset, excuse me, the buyer mindset moves more to an investor mindset where they're looking at the stability of land, the safe returns. And what I mean by that is from a timberland perspective, that timber is growing every day in size, length, and weight, no matter what happens in the market. You know, you're going to see a five to six percent return in growth on that tree every year, no matter what. You know, so people like that. And then again, the dividend there is that you get the recreation. All right. So things just they flip flop. You know, but that that's that's it in a, a short explanation. Well, I, I know what's been happening with me. My phone's been ringing off the hook. What about you? Are you seeing more and more people calling you? And right now, amidst this hysteria. Yeah, my my voicemails filled up three times this week. We always get a lot of calls, but this we've seen a, a dramatic increase in that in the last week or two. Just for the reasons I just mentioned, we've got you know people. A they got more time to to shop for land right now, but also they're understanding the value of diversifying into investments like land. So that has increased numbers. It's ranged from everybody that that's still active in the stock market that just wants to hedge more and get more into land. To the people that may be of a certain age that said, look, you know, I'm, I've had all the volatility I can handle. I'm tired. I'm just going to liquidate, go put my money in land and enjoy it for the rest of my days because I know it's not going anywhere. So it, it just depends on which end of the buyer pool we're on. Um, but we've definitely seen a major increase. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that there's a lot of people who try to time the market and we've all heard of that. And some people say it can't be done. And Others disagree, but there definitely are people who will try to get out, get back in. Is there? Do you think there's any value in that when it comes to land? Is there any value in trying to time this market or this hysteria or this pandemic as it relates to COVID-19? Not in my experience. I mean, land is such a long-term investment. It doesn't have a lot of major quick changes. So it's hard to time that you know there's going to be some magic moment to get in or out of land. That's the beauty of it is again, it's stable from you know the market perspective, in my opinion, timing you can see in in hindsight when you say, well, man, I wish I'd have done that then or done this then. And the people that do seem to have time it right, in my opinion, just got lucky or they did a lot of research and hard work to get there. And they made a wise, educated decision, not a momentary decision. To answer your question, I don't, I don't think it can be done with any regularity. I think you got a law of averages that kicks in, and at some point you get lucky. Well, that that being said, right now is the time we're in, and so let's first talk about what sellers need to think about when it comes to the coronavirus and the after effects of the coronavirus. So. Do you think right now is a bad time to put a property on the market? I mean, do you have land for sale right now? And are you going to keep it out there? I do. And I am. Again, with an increase in buyers coming to market, it's going to create more competition for your property. We've discussed in past episodes, and it's even gone down further now, we're at all-time lows on interest rates, creates a larger buying power for buyers, meaning they can buy more today than they could later at a higher interest rate. And it looks like that's going to go down some more. 
Yeah, it went down and popped up, but depending on what the 10-year treasury does, it, it's you know looking like it's going to go down again. It's going to drive a lot of motivations for savvy buyers to go ahead and jump in and buy as much as they can now while rates are low. So I want to be a part of that wave as a seller. Well, Clint, I, I, I could definitely see where low interest rates are going to be a benefit to sellers at this time because that just increases the amount that buyers can spend. You mentioned that that mindset, that flip from, you know, maybe the recreation first, investment second to an investment first, recreation second mindset during times of economic uncertainty. Do you feel that overall though, like in terms of total buyers, are there more buyers in total during a recession like what we had in 2008? And how do you think that's going to compare to what we'll see with the coronavirus? I do think there are more buyers now, or it feels that way. You know, I do think another almost side market is or side benefit of owning land has popped up with this, with the self-quarantining is a lot of people that were shopping for land that hadn't bought yet realized that, hey, that was not only an investment, that'd have been a nice place to go hang out for the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, but as far as 2008 went, there was contributing factors there that aren't here today. There was an election that had just kicked in where we had a major administration change and a lot of scares about what was going to happen to the long-term capital gains rate, the Obama administration coming in. That drove a lot of activity towards the end of that year that might not have otherwise happened or not, not happened that year. You know, that was really had nothing to do with recession as much as it was a fear of policy change. Uh, interest rates were a lot higher than so having them dramatically lower now didn't have the effect then that it does now in terms of buyer motivation. And then we had a major spike in, at least in our region, in pulpwood prices in starting in 09, 10 range that, that spurred a lot of activity too, that was more inter-industry driven investment you know, from people that really understood wet weather logging and the hows and winds of that. But the echoes of that still ring true today. And that's why we see such seasonal rises and falls in all timber prices, but especially pulpwood today. When it comes to, you know, you're talking about timber, you're talking about the commodities that are on that land, but what about the dirt? Did the dirt hold its value in 2008 and 2008 to 2010, which is kind of, you know, kind of the recessionary period. And then, you know, since 2010 till now, we've been going gangbusters, but two, roughly two year session. How did dirt do during that time? And how did the overall land values do? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing to remember in all this is under all is the land. Everything above that can change and be manipulated. But at the end of the day, that, that bare dirt's what is your anchor in everything. And it, it held its value and, and rose. Again, depending, some of these things are location specific and use specific, but overall, you know, things held their own. And like I said earlier, the land market, land values don't respond volatility and perception and or lack thereof the way that stock market does. Why is that, do you think? I mean, why do you think land is, is somewhat resistant? I mean, it is resistant to the volatility of the market. You know, probably first and foremost is because it's such a hard asset, it is much less liquid than equity is. And so it takes time to liquidate it. So when that happens, it human emotional factor that, that goes into a lot of the stock market crashes and, and corrections isn't able to kick in with land. Uh, it doesn't mean those same motivations aren't there from a seller or buyer perspective that, that may be panicking, but even if they are, they can't make it liquid so fast that we see a major change in those values. But also from an investment perspective, it takes longer to hit your numbers You know, when you're growing timber and things like that, that you just don't see it and you don't see those major changes. Well, you know, this week we had a historic 
economic stimulus plan signed. Estimated it's going to be around $2 trillion, I believe. With that much money coming into the market, I think a lot of people are predicting that we're going to see inflation. Interest rates super low. We're going to see some inflation going forward. Land, one of the benefits of land is it's a hedge against inflation. How does owning land protect your dollar? Again, it's the long-term stability of it, especially today. If you can lock in these interest rates as a buyer at equal or below effective inflation rates, then that's what that really means to you is that's free money. And as an investor or a seller, you get to capitalize on that. Inflation can almost be your friend to an extent in that it will help raise those prices when you sell. Again, it's timing isn't the right word, but understanding where the market is and where it's likely going, the land market that is, is important. But again, the reason that, in my opinion, land thwarts inflation so much is it's just slow and steady and stable. So it's, it's not something that can rapidly adjust one way or the other. One of the things that sellers are concerned about when it comes to a recession and and if they're thinking, if they've been thinking about selling their land and maybe haven't gotten it on the market yet, or maybe they've just gotten their property on the market, people are worried about their land spending a long time on the market. And we've talked on here before about the importance of accurate pricing. That's going to be your, your biggest indicator as far as how much time you're going to spend on the market before you find a willing buyer. But how, how did the recession in 2008 affect you know, the time to sale? How, how Did properties spend longer on the market during the recession? In some cases, yes, especially the more recreationally specific tracks that may or may not have a dual investment component. So, And what I mean by that is like a you know, big rolling hill track of, of open land that had a big lake and a big lodge on it that had no income other than lease income, hunting lease income if you leased it out. Mm-hmm. There was nothing there to cut. There was no row crop. Uh, income, you know, nothing there, no agricultural lease of any other kind to kick in. And, you know, those are the tracks that really set out there the longest, the ones that were were nice hunting places, but also well-stocked timber tracks still move quickly. It's almost like uh, if you had to sell a boat 2008 to 2010, I really, I feel for you because you could pick up boats for pennies on the dollar back then because everybody was offloading their toys. And, you know, some people do buy land as a toy. It's not that every, not every tract has great income or, and it, and it sounds like that's what you're saying is it, it's going to be case, case by case. But overall, if you've got a good property with, with good income and price it accurately, it's not really going to have that much effect. Is that right? Yeah, or even income potential. Because I mean, like some of these tracks that we saw were their soils were just not conducive to much else beyond their current use. They may be fantastic hunting tracks. Mm-hmm. It's not a track that you're going to go in and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and convert this now to a pine plantation. You know, the, the soils just couldn't handle that. Couldn't grow a pine tree if they tried you know, that kind of thing, or, or they couldn't be converted to a tillable track either. So if you got something that's is able to be converted to an investment or is currently in some form of income contributing use, it definitely helps you in this kind of environment as a seller. I think the other thing too, is that you just have to be prepared and, and just kind of think about, yeah, the, the mass consumer, the majority of people may have less income than what they did pre-recession, but there's always someone who a recession is an opportunity for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are making way more money during a recession than they were before. So that person may be in the market for that, for their toy, you know, their piece of land that they just want to buy it purely for hunting or purely for recreation or as a second 
home or as a primary residence, and they are still going to be attracted to a property that like that, like the ones that you're talking about, but the sellers just need to be understanding that it may take a little bit longer to find that bike. Well, that's what I was saying that's different between 08 and today is the other thing that we were fighting then is we didn't have the interest rates that we have today. So that will still drive a lot of buyers to tracks like that that are pure recreation now versus then. You know, So they say, all right, I got to have a bad stock market. I got this million, $2 million that I want to put to use. I'm tired of this. I want to go buy that toy or buy that, like you put it, the, the boat or whatever the case may be. Or the hunting land with the lodge that I've always dreamed about. Now, this was my sign. You know, so those buyers are out there too. So it, it's, again, it's all about uh, being able to target that market effectively. Well, Clint, you're talking about, you know, wanting to get into the market, right? Because you know, it's funny that without fail, every time you see a recession, you see a stock market crash, you see the people flooding out of the market. But the reality is that stocks are on sale right now. And it's if you've got cash and you can get in there's it's it's not a bad time to start thinking about that and you know you mentioned that in the beginning of the show one of the things about land is that it takes a little longer to mature and it's somewhat illiquid but what about lines of credit we've got really low interest rates right now i mean i know that's personally that's what we did as opposed to investing in the stock market for the past 2 years everything's been so high that we've actually paid our house off and now have a line of credit on our house. So we've got access to all that money to be able to, to go get into the market. I mean, is that an option for, for folks with land and somebody like Alabama Act Credit? Do they, do they do lines of credit on land? Yeah, I've used one before there and I know they've got that and a lot of other creative opportunities. But, you know, so that in context of the land market, typically what you'd see there is somebody that says, I want to sell my land. But I don't want to miss out on this market either in those opportunities. So they would do a, a line on the property while we market it for sale. So that way they can go ahead and get in the market and then they'll pay for that line or pay that line off at closing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it's something to think about because uh, they are on sale right now. I, I don't know why that is such a uh, common place. I guess people just get scared and uh, want to stop the bleeding. But, you know, we talked about sellers. Let's talk about buyers a little bit. So coronavirus, what are your predictions from buyers? How how are these interest rates gonna gonna affect them? Well talking to people in the industry like Alabama Ag Credit, you know, they expect rates to go up. So, you know, it's it's that's I look at this from a, a risk perspective in terms of time. Like what's what's the risk in waiting? And mm-hmm. I think that's probably the, the biggest one is that your buying power is going to go down. The other thing with all these people coming tomorrow, all these buyers coming to market is the loss of inventory, the competition for that inventory. Again, depending on what use types we're talking about, what asset classes we're referring to, but you know, that is a risk for them. So if it's A, I've got a lower inventory and B, it's going to cost me more to buy it. Why do I want to wait for that? Why wouldn't I want to, for the same reason that you're going to run out and buy stocks right now, because they're low, it's best to enter the market, the land market now and go ahead and chase what you want to chase right now while it's, you've got cheap money and high inventory. And a lot of people are holding out of the stock market right now because they don't think we've, they think we, they expect that we're going to drop some more. I think if you talk to, and I'm by no means a stock advisor, but you know, dollar cost averaging, you really don't want to necessarily try to put all your money in at one time is what most people would advise. But when it comes to land, you're not dealing with those same, that same volatility. So like you say, there really is no reason to, to wait because it's not like you saw land values 
plummet 30% during the recession, right? No. I mean, I haven't seen them do anything but but stay stable and increase in my you know 16 and a half year career. And growing up in the land of timber business, you know, I've heard about the Carter years all the way through and I've studied that. And since then, land values have really done nothing but stay stable and increase, you know, from the savings and loan crash that happened then all the way through from 2008 on. It's really one of the safest investments in the world. And, you know, when you see successful people or smart people, you know, you want to emulate what they do. And if you, you look, man. I appreciate that. I didn't say ugly people, <laughs> smart and successful people. Oh, uh, sorry. I misunderstood you. Yeah. You know, you look at those, those people, those families, those, those companies throughout history. And today they're all, or have been some of the largest landowners in the country. They understand the value of diversifying and into rural land. I mean, there are a lot of them are in real estate, like commercial real estate and, and, you know, some form of income producing real estate outside of rural land, but the bulk of them are also in farms, timberland, in that those industries to a great degree. So, I mean, there, uh, there's something to be said there as well. Well, and, you know, you were talking about the increase in interest rates and, and we just, we previously talked about how low they are and they're so low that it, it, it's unfathomable to think they could go much lower. And most everyone you talk to is expecting an interest rate increase if you're looking out you know, two, three, five, ten 10 years. How are those rising interest rates going to affect? Uh, they, it's going to affect sellers the same way, right? Because I mean, that's, that's another reason to get your property out there right now, if you're, if you're thinking about it, that lower buying power, right? I mean, isn't that yeah. going to affect sellers the exact same way? Absolutely. I mean, it comes down to an amortization table on the loan. And, you know, that dollar goes further right now for both parties, sellers and buyers, than it would if interest rates go back to historical norms or just at a minimum above what they are today. So every time that interest rate goes up, that's less that that same buyer can afford to pay for your property. What about inventory? So in 2008 through, you know, during the recession, did you have a hard time? I mean, you're, you're a great land broker and, and you're well known and, and, but were listings hard to come by? Was inventory hard to come by during the recession? It depends. I know I say that a lot, but again, it comes down to the area and the use type. And, you know, like I said, mentioned earlier, the effect of the wet weather logging spikes, uh, timber price spikes that we saw then. But in general, no. I mean, 08, 09, and 10 at that point in time were the best years of my career. And that was because of the demand for land went up. And it's continued to be that way. And, and our gross sales have continued to increase ever since then to the point that last year was the, the best year we've ever had by double. And so that, I mean, when it comes to people that are thinking about getting into the market, thinking about buying, that's something they need to consider is that with more and more people entering the market because of the stability of land, inventory is going to decrease because it's just more people are going to be buying it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that election risk you were talking about in 08. So what was the scare? What were people specifically worried about when it came to the Obama administration? Policy changes more than anything. At that point in time, the, the biggest thing you heard about was, you know, he's going to get rid of the long-term capital gains rate. We're going to have to pay ordinary income rates, capital gains from real estate sales, uh, and that he was going to get rid of 1031 exchanges. And, and, and I don't mean to get too political and, or, and I'm not taking one side or the other, but, you know, there was just this big scare of the big he in quotation marks of what all he was going to do. And, you know, so it drove a lot of, of activity. I mean, it was December 31st of that year. I was at a closing. Actually, three closings that day 
until dark to get them done. And, you know, just in case. Now, as we know now, that didn't happen. And President Trump has been able to and, uh, get support for getting a, a reduction in, in tax rates since then and been more, in most people's opinion, more pro-business. And that is what spurred a lot of activity of the last few years. So now there's a big concern that we may go back to those risks and uncertainty, what happened in 08, depending on what happens in this year's election. So that's a risk as well. And if you're a seller wanting to do a 1031 exchange or take advantage of these extremely low, historically low capital gains rates that we have now, you know, that should be a concern. I mean, it, it has happened in history and, and could happen again. And, you know, while things are as low from a tax liability standpoint as they've ever been in, in recent decades, they should think about taking advantage of those, especially if you want to liquidate, you know, and truly take the funds and not do a 1031 exchange. Well, talking about 1031s, let's go into those just a little bit because we've we've hit on them before, but we're you and I are in the middle of a of a 1031 right now with one of the properties we've got for sale and I've just noticed that the, you know, the the person who's in the 1031, there's just a sense of anxiety, you know, because they're on that they're on the clock. They've got a time period they're working within and it makes people nervous. So one of the things that that is interests me and I think should interest other people is a reverse 1031. Purely for that that reason, it's, it's a little bit of a reduction in anxiety. So talk a little bit about reverse 1031s while we're on the subject. Basically, on 1031 exchanges, normal forward exchange, you identify, you've already sold, and you identify what you're going to buy in one of the three formats, and you pick the one or combination of properties to buy out of that. A reverse, you've already bought what you're going to buy, either with cash or financing, but you took it inside of an exchange, inside of that reverse exchange at closing. And now you identify what you're going to sell to either reimburse yourself or pay off that loan and then come out of it again with without any tax liability on the sale. So if you've got a piece of land, I mean, right now we've already identified it's a good time to sell because of all those factors and the uncertainty around 1031s with, with potential new administration, the uncertainty about interest rates. And if they rise, that's going to hurt your ability to sell your property. But if you want to move on a on a, a piece, say you're wanting, because right now it'd be a really good time if you wanted to convert your property into a more valuable piece of property. You know, say you've got 100, 100 acres and you're wanting to just increase the amount of land you have, a reverse seems like less stressful way to do that. Yeah. And I've personally done one. It was a lot more enjoyable than the forward. I did a forward last year too. And it was definitely a lot less stressful because I already knew what I was going to buy. Because, you know, buying is is my long-term investment, what I want to get into. And you don't want to rush yourself into a purchase because you're about to run out of days. And usually that happens with people that, that have to move quickly for whatever reason. But a lot of times on our sellers, we can help our sellers with, you know, being more strategical about closing periods and ten, you know whether we're going to do a forward or reverse 1031 exchange, as long as they're clear with us about their goals up front, then then I can help them make sure they don't get put in a corner. Whether they're doing a reverse or a forward, make sure that you know we remove that stress for them. Right. Uh, and ideally, as we're getting closer to closing on a sale, if we're going to do a forward exchange, then we're already locating and identifying or making offers on our target or vice versa. We're going ahead and locking up a purchase for them if they can afford to cover a loan or pay cash for that while we're selling their other track so that we can immediately roll in reverse, so to speak, into the, the purchase that was previously made when we sell their listing. It's just key to understanding you know, how that process works, what you can do and can't do, and who you've got to work with in terms of engaging accountants, attorneys, qualified intermediaries, whomever, to make sure that it's done right and doesn't put your seller at risk. And, and that's something we've got 
an extreme amount of experience with. Well, one of the things we talked about earlier was that stocks are on sale. And we do expect to see a real estate recession. It doesn't sound like we should expect to see a quote unquote land recession. Like we talked about earlier, lands of it's stable, it's much less volatile. We're not gonna see a a big decrease in the in the value of dirt. But if we see another real estate recession, uh, whether it's as severe as 2008 or not, you are going to start to see other real estate investments start to decrease in, in cost. And when you see that, you know that's when my ears perk up. I want to buy them when they're undervalued because the next few years, we're going to see a, a big increase in that. So one of the really interesting things that allows folks to get out, uh, sell their land if they're interested in selling their land, take advantage of a 1031, but then get into what we call stock-like real estate investments is what's called a Delaware Statutory Trust. We call them a DST. So tell me a little bit about DSTs and what you've been learning about them recently. Well, the main benefit to those is that you can take advantage of diversified real estate investments across multiple classes of real estate. So let's say you said, well, I've always wanted to be, you know, get into income producing real estate at a commercial level. So, but I want to be in multifamily. I want to be in retail, office space, industrial space, warehouses, whatever the case may be. Or you want to be in a combination of those, but you just don't have the money to get into all of them or the size of that asset that you want at want. Or even if you do, you don't want to deal with the hassle of managing managing them, et cetera, et cetera. So what you really want out of that is the income stream and the return. That's what we're all in it for. Everything else is with income producing real estate can be a headache. DSTs offer you an opportunity to get into those type investments through a 1031 exchange and then have somebody else manage them. And then basically you just get your your proceeds in the mail. You get mailbox money uh, so, every month. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, example would be you're, you've got a, a large piece of land. It doesn't matter the size necessarily, but you've got a, a piece of land maybe worth a million dollars, $2 million. It doesn't really matter. But if you wanted to buy a multifamily apartment complex, that may be a $60 million property. You're not going to be able to go in and, and make that purchase yourself alone. But through a DST, you're basically buying in a share into an LLC, right? I mean, you're, you're investing with several other investors in something like an apartment complex. That's how I understand it. Do I have that right? Yeah, you're buying stock. So it, it acts, well, we've been talking about the, the market, and it, but it acts somewhat like that where it's an equity share into the project. And you can pick the type of project you want to be in. They vary across the nation. There's some that are even in opportunity zones. So they have passed through tax deduction opportunities, things like that. I mean, there's a variety of options there, but really gives somebody an option that let's say you've got someone that, that's inherited a lot of land or you've got a family that owns a lot of land together and they want to protect that that pool of wealth, but they don't want to be in that type of land anymore. They don't want to be in, in land anymore for whatever reason. Typically, that's a situation where you've got somebody that's kind of aging out or you've got so many family members that it's making it difficult, but nobody wants to just sell or divide. They still want to stay together in that investment or you got a patriarch that wants to protect the investment for his family to come, but understands that they can't have 20 owners or whatever the case, you know, multiple owners in the property or the family just doesn't care about it the way that he does. So they're looking for options. This gives them that option. It allows them a way to protect that wealth, but also pr produce an income stream for everybody to enjoy. So you can 1031 out of the property you're selling into a DST carries forward and then you get passed through income 
pass-through depreciation, all the benefits of commercial real estate and, or the industrial real estate, whatever the whatever class of, of real estate the DST is is involved. You know, you're not left with a big tax bill, and you're not left with you know just splitting the money between family members that they burn through. So it, it protects your investment long term and keeps it producing for you. Well, Clint, we talked about now being a good time to buy because of those low interest rates. And we talked about now being a good time to sell for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, you bought a little something this week, didn't you? I did. I had an opportunity to pick up some more timberland and I took advantage of that. It wasn't any kind of great deal or anything else. It's just something that I believe in. It looked like a, a good long-term buy. And you know, so I picked it up. So I'm I'm selling and buying. Well, I like the fact that land is a finite resource. I mean, there's less of it now than there was when when the country was founded and there's going to be less of it, you know, available in the future. And I know I feel a lot better, you know, just kind of having talked through things with you today and looking ahead about about the market because land just doesn't have those same volatile aspects that equities do and it gives you a lot of a lot of maneuverability. You are looking to invest in this downturn we expect to see. And it makes me feel that much better about having it. And then like you say, those side benefits, being able to get out and recreate on it. That being said, what we've talked about today has been very broad brushstrokes. I mean, what happens in the Black Belt of Alabama can be a little different than what happens in the Panhandle of Florida or Southeast Alabama. So if you're listening to this and you want to you know, kind of go through your area and what is going on in your area, definitely reach out to us. You can email us at pros at landhunting.com. If you got any questions or concerns about this this time that we're going through, we'd love to talk to you and kind of help you work through it and find out what your goals are as we move forward. But other than that, Clint, I mean, it sounds like we just everybody just needs to enjoy the ride, so to speak. If you're a landowner or you're thinking about buying land, I mean, stay safe in this pandemic. I don't, I know I'm being careful. I even turned down an offer to go turkey hunting. That's how serious I'm taking it. But, uh, well, you know, my, my biggest piece of advice is just don't make these, you know, highly emotional decisions. Just, just stop and think. And if you need specific feedback from us on what's going on in your, in your area, reach out, let us know. We'll be happy to provide it, help you keep a thumb on everything, but just, you know, don't, don't fall in line with whatever the TV says. Don't make these, these just sudden emotional decisions out of nowhere. And otherwise, just like you said, stay safe and go chase a turkey. Yeah. Cover your cough. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. We appreciate you listening. As always, if you'd like us to email you the show directly, you can just hit us up at pros at landhunting.com. We'll add you to the email list and send you the podcast. And whatever podcatcher you're listening to, whether it's iTunes or another, we'd appreciate any reviews you can give us there that helps the show. And you can subscribe there as well so you get updated the minute we put out new shows. Until next time, you guys be safe and we'll talk to you on the flip side. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baia and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land, and now is a great time to buy or sell. Want to know why? Shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND.